guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sisterhood. This is Melissa. And this is CJ. And this is episode 31. Woo woo, the age I was a year ago. The age I'll be next year. <laughs> Rub it in. Okay. <laughs> uh, we are back from our break after our break. <laughs> Oh yeah, our our first we took a little we took a long vacation and then we came back and then we took another vacation and now we're back. Yeah. And I am back at the same hippie burner house I was recording at last time, only this time there are people screaming outside, sorry. Only this time I am joined by a super cute dog. Her name is Sage. It's short for Sage Against the Machine. She is part hound and part winerummer. Winerummer? Runner? The big, ugly gray dogs. But because she's a hound mix, she's super, super cute. And uh, spoiler alert, she's my woman of the week. So cute. And actually, I will be here until next Thursday or Friday. So the next episode, I'll probably record here too. Nice. Yeah, it's great. Love it. My recording studio loft in downtown Denver. <laughs> I'm fancy. So, tell us about your travels. Um. Oh yeah. So super weird. I went to two different states in one week. Um. The first one was Minneapolis, Minnesota. And let me just tell you, I will not ever be moving to the Midwest. <laughs> Why? What happened? It was too fucking hot. Oh yeah. Like torture hot yeah i'm not down with that like i don't do hot like i'm hot in 65 degree weather in california bro i thought you were mexican no (laughs) i just have brown skin (laughs) was Um, it was it humid as fuck too it was fucking horrible yeah and like it the weather was basically like hey guys it's 85 degrees 95 percent humidity chance of hail and thunderstorms <laughs> yep and i'm just like i'm good right and then the second half of the year it's just arctic storms all the time yeah and that's what i was i was talking to i went on a work trip is why i was out there i was only there for like 24 hours And I was talking to our vendors that live there, and I was asking them, like, it's hot as motherfucking balls. Like, how do you guys deal with this? And he's like, well, it's either this or freezing cold. And I'm like, how cold does it get there? And he said, well, let's just say that instead of snow days, we have freeze days where the kids aren't allowed to go to school because they literally might freeze to death walking to the school bus. (laughs) My God. Yeah. Yeah. So between freezing to death outside and dying of heat stroke and humidity, like I won't be going to the Midwest. Let's yeah. just let's just, you know, finalize that now. 
When I was in Minneapolis back in June, I met up with an old colleague, and she's originally from Berkeley, California, so she was like, what the fuck is this shit? She's been living there for, like, five years, and she just moved back to California. And I was like, how cold is it again? She was like, oh, my God, like, this past winter got, like, negative 70. And I was like, what the fuck? So then the Airbnb host slash future boo that I was hanging out with while I was there, I told him that. And he was like, it didn't get that cold. And I was like, how cold again? He was like, it only got, like, negative 50. Oh, no. So much better. Like, I can't even, like, my brain, I can't wrap my brain around what that would feel like. Yeah, um, I don't either, and I I'm, have no interest in finding out. <laughs> but if I had to guess, like, I literally think I would be able to tolerate the cold more than I can tolerate humidity. Yeah. Like, I just don't fuck with heat at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's not my jam. And, For like, sure. in California, when it gets warm, which, like, right now it's considered hot and it's only, like, 80 and it's hot, but we have breeze. And yeah. that's, like, another thing they didn't fucking have. It was just, like, still wet, hot, humid. It was torture. I hated every minute of it. Did you get and, swamp ass? Um, <laughs> no, but for sure swamp, swamp tits. Like, I'm more of a swamp tits kind of girl. Not so much swamp ass. I feel you. Um. So, yeah, I was in Minneapolis for two days and then I flew home and I was home for one day and then I flew to Oregon and then I was in Oregon for three days. You didn't go to I thought you were direct. No. Ugh, that sucks. Yeah, so I had to come home for a day and like repack my bag and then do it all over again. Um, Oregon was a lot better, <laughs> although I did not get to see enough of Oregon to be able to say really much about it because we really just went to Astoria and I feel like there's so much more of Oregon to see than just little itty bitty Astoria so I would like to go back and see more Oregon but the weather there was much more tolerable and uh, it was really beautiful and it was like crazy to see trees yeah and like rows and rows and rows and rows of trees just so much fucking greenery that we don't ever see in california and babes well i went straight from the airport to astoria and literally like no one lives in astoria so (laughs) i can't really speak to the amount of babes in oregon um but yeah i didn't even get to go to portland so that kind of sucked but maybe next time yeah. She would love Portland so much. I can see you moving there. You're going to move there. Yeah. It just, like, it, that wasn't in the cards for this trip. I was, yeah. like, literally going for someone's wedding, so I couldn't, like, I had something I had to do. And it, for sure. it wasn't in Portland. But hopefully down the line I can schedule a real trip to go to Portland and drink lots of beer. Lots and lots and lots and lots of beer. So much beer in Portland. So much beer. For sure. But yeah. That's what I've been doing. Oh, also, I don't think I mentioned this in our last episode. I think I planned to mention it and completely forgot, but I got a new job. I feel like you mentioned it in passing and that was it. Okay. Well, I got a new job, everybody. Woo! And that means we should be celebrating because if you've listened to any of the past 30 episodes, all I've done is talk shit on my last job. So, I no longer work there! Woo! I feel like you never talk shit about your last job. I feel like you did a really good job of oh. not doing that. I think I, like, talk shit to you off 
exactly. recording. Exactly. Yeah. And then, like, tried to be as peaceful about it as possible on recording. Yep. Okay. But well, you're the free truth now. Is <laughs> yeah. Live it up. The truth is out. So. Fucking sucks. Yeah. Woo-hoo! So, yay. So now you report, job. now you report directly to Kate Hudson. And <laughs> <laughs> Kate Hudson is my new boss, everybody. Um, no, she's not, but yeah, Gold- I got a new job. So Goldie Hawn, if you're listening, which I, there's a good chance you are, <laughs> hit, hit us up, mimosasister at gmail.com or Kate. That's cool too. Yeah. We'll take any of, any of you. We'll take uh, Kurt Russell also. <laughs> The whole family. We're just there. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's my update. What about you? I have I have no updates. I'm just living the gypsy ass no job life in Denver. It is actually like so the house that I'm staying in like for the summer, not this like random house I'm house sitting in, but the one I'm staying in mainly has no air conditioning. And this past week it was like hundred degrees. Is it humid in Colorado? No, it's dry as hell. Okay. Um, and, like, I prefer a little bit of humidity. Like, not New Orleans in August humidity, but, it, like, it's so humid here that, like, your nose gets dry and starts bleeding humid or, or dry. That's how dry it is here. And it's, like, 100 degrees. We don't have any air conditioning in that house. So I was like, oh, like, I'm going to leave New Orleans for the summer. Like, that's really fucking smart, which I guess okay. it was, but. Tell those crackheads to all go over to fucking Home Depot and buy a $100 wall air conditioner. Thank you. Thank that's you. That's what I did. Thank you. That's what I'm saying. Home I know. They're, yeah, it's just, like, they're not even expensive. No. I agree. And it, but I live in this tiny little studio, which is, like, the size of a normal person's living room, and it makes my entire house freezing yeah and like it's this weird thing where i'm like this sucks also like i'm staying here for two months for free and like eating their food and i'm in absolutely no position to complain and i should be grateful and i am 98 percent of the time but that two percent when i'm butt naked in my room at like 3 a.m and it's still 90 degrees i'm like this fucking sucks so that is all the more reason why it's super great that i get this little house sitting gig because this dude has central air nice living it up with central air but beyond that yeah i don't i don't have any updates plus like i don't when i do i don't tell you guys shit you ain't got to know my life i ain't telling y'all motherfuckers i do have one more thing to talk about but we but it leads into my woman so we're gonna do it after the wine review so should i do wine review first get it girl okay so i stopped really quick at the liquor store down the street to purchase my wine and i wanted a pinot grigio and i was browsing through the little refrigerator there and i saw something that caught my eye because it couldn't be more on theme with my woman tonight so i literally bought it because the label is like an exact replica of what i'm going to be talking about with my woman today which is gnarly so as i go through my little wine review it's a little sneak preview of what to come is later but i am drinking a pinot grigio called girl and dragon okay and it's a 2016, and it says it's a Veneto, Italy. And let me just tell you, it sucks. It's very <laughs> disappointing because I was so excited about it. But, like, oh, it has a putrid flavor to it. 
And I don't, like, it literally tastes like I poured this wine in an old shoe and let it marinate for, like, a week. No, She's sipping it now. Yeah, so, like, every sip is kind of old shoey. And even when I go in to, like, take a sip, it smells, like, not good. I wonder if it just went bad. (laughs) I don't know. We'll never know. But I'm not happy about it. I'm sorry. I know. But the uh, the label's kind of funny. It's like this this blonde chick with like curly hair and she has these big dragon wings behind her. And it's called Girl and the Dragon. And the back of it says be fearless. But like honestly the biggest thing to fear is the flavor of this fucking wine. I mean that's probably why they put it there. <laughs> Just drink it. Be brave. Yeah, it's it's so not good. Like, I almost... It's, like, one of those things where I want to, like, contact the wine maker and be like, were you on drugs? Like, what went wrong? Did you did you plow these berries through a bunch of, like, horse manure? Like, I'm very confused. And it's also, like, hard because I wonder if it's a bad bottle, but it's, like, you're never going to fucking waste the money to buy another one to find out. Because why no. would you? I know. And I'm also going to drink it because I don't have anything else to drink, and it's Friday night, so. I was going to ask if you had any of that, like. Oh, I did have one thing to share that's related to the wine review. Literally the day after we recorded our last episode, I was down at the pool at this complex I was staying at, and someone gave me a White Claw. Did you like it? I mean, for what it is, it's fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For, like, a poolside beverage that doesn't get you, like, too fucked up or too full, like, totally fine. And they were, like, and it was a guy who gave it to me. So he was, like, these are so fucking disgusting. And I was, like, I'll I'll take it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Yeah. Like, I would, if I was at a pool, I'd drink it again. Well, I'm sorry about your shitty wine. Taking one for the team. Just to, like, reiterate, Girl and the Dragon, this is a little sneak preview of the theme of My Woman tonight. Right. The label, by the way, is really cute. It's really cute. It's a blonde woman with beautiful curly hair. With a dragon behind her. Oh, I can't even see the dragon. Even cuter. It's, like, very vague. Well, I'm, uh, back on the box. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And once again, this box was procured by the the resident of this home that I'm house sitting for. But he was like, it was actually really sweet. He was like, do you prefer red or white? I was like, 100% white. But I hate Chardonnay. And he was like, for show, for show, for show. So when I got here yesterday, this box of wine was chilling in the fridge for me. It is La, La Vie Ferme. Nice. Uh, whatever that is, it's got a picture of some roosters and a chicken on it that I can only assume are about to like bang Fruit Loops, so they're hanging out there. And it is just white wine; doesn't give it any more information than that. I bet it's bomb. It's uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> it's not Chardonnay. And I was like, kind of afraid when I, I was like, please don't. Be. Or like, it's probably a blend. If there is Chardonnay, I can't really taste it. It's not the best, um, but I've been watering it down with ice, and that makes it a little bit easier to drink. That's so. probably what will make my shitty wine taste better. Yeah, just yeah, put it on ice. So on that tip, I have to refill my wine, and my ice is in the glass. And I just, for the listeners at home, I'm go ahead and 
Oh my god, that like stream sounds like pee at some time. It really okay. does. Yeah. That was me peeing in my wine glass. Okay. So the thing that I kind of wanted to bring this up last week, actually, because we had like a very brief text exchange about it. But there are a couple of shows on TV right now that I'm super excited about in terms of either, like, their female representation or how females are involved in, like, the writing, producing, directing. And one of the shows that I think both you and I really have enjoyed is Dead to Me, starring Christina Applegate on Netflix. Yeah. Did you finish that? You finished that, right? Uh Okay. So, real quick on that tip, A, congratulations to Christina Applegate, because she just got an Emmy nomination for her role in that show. Nice. And, like, very well-deserved, because she goes through all of the emotions on that show. And honestly, like, I had, when I think of her, I think of Married with Children, I had no idea she was such a good actress. Yeah, right? Like, she fucking kills it on that show. But the reason I liked that show, and Melissa, feel free to chime in if you relate, is just... Christina, I won't, like, spoil anything if you haven't seen it, but Christina Applegate's character is really, really angry. And I just feel like there are so few media representations of women who are angry that aren't just, like, villains. They do a really good job of showing her being very upset, but also very vulnerable and, like, trying to get better about her anger issues and trying to, like, maybe, like, she blows up on someone but then realizes she fucked up and she goes back and, like, tries to make amends. And it just feels, like, really true to life. And uh, that makes me super happy because I identify as, like, a angry, ball-busting woman. And I like that they showed a character that was, like, multidimensional that I could relate to. You know what else, though? Like, even the other character, which I feel shitty. I don't know that actress's name. I think that they both of these women are dealing with a lot of very extreme issues in their lives. And... They portray their characters very problematic. Yeah. But, like, so fucking real. Yes. And it's very refreshing to see, like, two lead women in a a show where they are problematic and they do a lot of fucked up shit, but when you really get to the core of what's going on in their lives and how they're handling it, you can relate so much to their crazy because we've literally all been there in some type of capacity. Hell yeah. yeah. (laughs) And again, nobody wants to spoil the show, but if you haven't seen Dead to Me yet, please go watch it. It's one series. It's so fucking good. And then the way the series ends is just like, all of my life's happiness just came full circle. <laughs> it's um heads up if you haven't started it yet, it is like bingeable. So like don't start on a Monday night because every episode ends that way. Every episode ends with you being like, fuck, like I have to watch the next episode. But like, you keep trying to go to bed and you're like, no, 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 I have to see what's next. Um I also like how everything you just said, and on top of that, like they're trying. Oh, yeah. They're, they're not just, like, heads up their asses, don't give a fuck. Like, they're super flawed, super complicated. They do, I don't like, ter- like, they do, like, really messed up stuff, but you they're struggling with it, and they're trying to, like, be better people, and it shows that as, like, such, I think, like, we can think about self-improvement. We've talked about this before as being this, like, process with an end goal, and that's just not the truth. Like, it's something that you do every single day of your life. No. Like, you're always managing it. Well, and I think also the other, I think the other thing that they show really well in that show is that when 
people, not even just women, but people, human beings, go through very traumatic things in their lives, they deal with it and process it and react to it in a variety of ways, most of them not being the healthiest. Mm -hmm. And then, so one, here's the trauma. Two is like the series of things you've done since the trauma that have now developed into a world of more problems that you have to deal with and having to one, accept all of it and now like dig yourself out of that hole that you didn't even want to be in in the beginning, but now you're in and you're in further than you ever thought. And that's, like, kind of what these women are going through. And so it's watching them try to, like, climb back out of that hole that they got thrown into out of fucking nowhere with zero preparation. Yeah. And they make a lot of mistakes while they're climbing out of that hole. But it's just, like, it's so real and it's so genuine and it, they, they're just both really strong, incredible female leads in this story. And I fucking love it. But the other show that really stood out for me this year was Netflix's Russian Doll. I never saw that. You, oh, you didn't watch Russian? Ooh, no, I never even heard of it. So Russian Doll is, speaking of bingeable, it's maybe like 10 episodes, but they're all 25 minutes long. So you can literally watch it in one night. And it's basically, again, don't want to give too much away, but this isn't, this is like the premise of the show. This woman keeps... She's at her, like, 40th birthday party, and then she dies, and then she keeps waking up. Like, it's kind of like Groundhog's Day. She keeps waking up in, like, the bathroom at her birthday party. But, like, without giving too much away, like, every time she dies and comes back to life, like, things change a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it ends up being this really amazing show. It essentially ends up becoming about, like, a show about why you shouldn't kill yourself and like why life is worth living and what makes life worth living and the ways in which we become so disconnected from what gives life meaning. Um, I don't want to give too much away. And like, I found it super powerful and amazing. And the reason that it's not like it's necessarily about like female power or like this particular character so crazy out of the blue. It's more the fact that the entire show is written and directed by women every single it was produced by amy poehler and it was co-created co-written and is starring the woman that i'll be covering today natasha leone i don't know who she is this is gonna be great so natasha leone is an american actress you probably know her if you don't know her name she was in the american pie movies she do you ever see the slums of beverly hills well, here's something I know you've seen. Orange is the New Black. Yes. She is now at this point in her life most well known for her work as Nikki Nichols in Orange is the New Black. But in the late 90s and early 2000s, she was pretty well known. She was kind of like Brittany Murphy. She wasn't necessarily like, Love yeah, Brittany rest Murphy. in peace. Wasn't necessarily like starring in the biggest lead roles. but And she was kind of like weird and kind of off the wall and had a weird humor. And so she was kind of in like weirder films or like the best friend sidekick roles, those kinds yeah. of things. So for anyone who, um, who maybe doesn't know who Natasha Leone is... If you don't know her from Orange is the New Black or any of the roles I just mentioned, she has, like, this signature super curly Jewish hair. And, and in her most, voice. And her voice is very scratchy. She was a child star. Wow. And um, in addition to her movie and acting roles, she is probably most well-known for her mid-2000 super visible breakdown 
in which she was addicted to heroin and other drugs. She was in a bunch of legal trouble as a result of all of those things. And for whatever reason, she was one of those people like Lindsay Lohan or Brittany Murphy were like, the media was all over her. Like they just couldn't get enough of, of her trauma and what she was going through. And I think, I don't know why, I think it was just like by that time we'd become obsessed with child star stories gone bad. And so I think they just like pounced on it. That's um, interesting because the character she plays in Orange as the New Black is a drug addict. Yep. And there's a lot of overlap hmm. in that role, which we'll get into a little bit more. I think she's a lesbian on the show. She's not a lesbian in real life. Oh, great. She munched so much vagina in Orange as <laughs> the New Black. Just like ate it all up. Well, I'm sure, I have no doubt Natasha Leone has, like, munched her share, but she is <laughs> not a lesbian. She is dating a man, but we'll get into all of this. So, I'm choosing her because I love a fucking Phoenix Rising story, and she is basically, like, her, cur- she is, like, top of the top right now, and I will tell you why as we go. So, oh. Natasha Leone was born in New York City in 1979 to a very wealthy uh, Orthodox Jewish family. And her mother, I feel like this always comes up, her mother, who was actually born in Paris, was the daughter of two Holocaust survivors. Oh, gnarly. Which, like, I guess makes sense for the timeline. And her father was a boxing promoter, a race car driver, and a radio host. And then I also read online that much later in his life, he ran for public office in New York City as a Republican. Basically, this dude sounds like no one I would ever want to be stuck in a room with. <laughs> like, it just sounds like the most, like, cocaine-fueled, toxic masculinity shit. Like, radio host. Well, what was boxing, the boxing promoter? promoter? Yeah. Like, if you have promoter in your title, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to kick it with you. Like, no. unless you want to promote her show, in which case, exactly. like, yeah, All the help us out. Come, come. So her parents were the kind of parents in the 80s who were like, hey, we're going to make our kid become a child star. Besides, like, Shirley Temple and maybe Elijah Wood, I, like, every child star ever went down a dark road. And, like, whether that I can think of. And, like, how dark that got. Like, even just, you know, like, Macaulay Culkin is maybe not, like, in the trenches anymore. But, like, he ain't totally normal either. You know what I mean? Like, our BFF Shia LaBeouf. Like, <laughs> our future husband. Like, Amanda Bynes. Oh, Amanda. Like, all of them, right? I, Miley Cyrus actually ended up okay, too. Like, I she's mean, not. she had that one, like, weird three years. She's being she an was... asshole. But, yeah. yeah. She didn't, like crash a car and shoot up heroin as far as we know right so um and that's why i think natasha's story is super cool because she went through all of that and got out the other side of it um all all for the better so because her parents in her words forced her to become a star she has been very open about the fact that she has been basically completely estranged from her family since she was 16 years old wow and to the point where, from what I could understand based on interviews I'd read from her, like, both of her parents have since passed away, and she didn't, like, there was no goodbye, like, there were no reconciliations, like, at 16, like, she was gone. That's gnarly. Yeah. So, who knows, like, and that's kind of all I know, like, there's probably a lot of shit in there, right? So, 
So, all that to say, Natasha, by the age of, like, I think four years old, is in commercials, just, like, getting little bits wherever she can. And then finally, quote-unquote finally, at the ripe old age of six years old, she <laughs> she lands a reoccurring role on Pee-wee's Playhouse, of all things. Which, like, God, did you ever watch that? Yeah. Melissa's making a wonderful I mean, stink Pee-wee face. I Herman, I can't think of a grosser human being on Earth. So gross. Didn't he get caught, like, masturbating in a movie theater? Pretty sure he did. <laughs> Pretty sure you did. Like, take it home, dude. Come on. Just rent the movie. My God. But anyway, that's kind of like her big quote unquote breakout role as a as a young child actor. And then she's in a bunch of other stuff as the years goes on go on. I didn't like note down every single thing. But at age sixteen, she is cast in a Woody Allen film called Everyone Says I Love You. She really is just like in these films with creepy men. Um, but that kind of was like the role that was the bridge between her being a child star and her being able to do more like adult roles, older roles. And uh, at that point, she was going to high school in like an Orthodox private Jewish school in New York City. And <laughs> she was on a scholarship and taking honors classes in Talmud and reading Aramaic, which basically just means she was crazy smart and also like into Jewish mysticism. So she's like a genius Jewish witch. So we already love her. Um, of her time at that school, she says, quote, it was an atrocious high school environment. Organized religion was in direct correlation with wealth and status. Rabbi Luckstein, Luckstein, sorry. Rabbi Luckstein, who was the head of the school, was my arch nemesis. Oh, God. And at 16 years old, while she's, like, filming this Woody Allen film, she gets kicked out of high school for dealing marijuana to the other students. Sounds so, right. scholarship student gets expelled for dealing drugs. But after the Woody Allen movie came out, she does an appearance on David Letterman to promote the movie. And after her appearance on David Letterman, the school calls her and tells her she can come back. So they're basically like, oh, you're famous now, so, like, it's cool. What the fuck? Like, we want to be able to claim you so like, you can come back. Oh, Isn't my that God. fucking gross? Yeah. And this is a school that she already hates. So she was like, nah, I'm good. And instead, she starts going to college at NYU as a film student. Oh, wow. Yeah, so with her money from that movie role, she was able, at 16, to buy her... Or maybe she was 18 when she bought the apartment. But she bought an apartment in Gramercy Park, New York, which is, like, near the village, which is near NYU. And she starts going to NYU, and even though she's, like, making more money than your average teenager... She realizes, and she's, like, completely estranged from her parents, so they're not giving her any money. She's like, oh, I can't afford $60,000 a year tuition to go to college. So she drops out. Gnarly. Keeping with our theme of women who drop out of college. So she has neither a high school diploma nor a college degree. Just want to say. Don't go to school, guys. Fuck it. So to, to pay her way through life, she starts taking on roles like American Pie that she doesn't even necessarily want. And in the late 90s and early 2000s, she's in a bunch of like those smaller roles like I told you about. Well, like Slums of Beverly Hills, she's the main star. And it's like a cult classic. Definitely watch it sometime. It okay. is like a seminal, trashy cult classic film of the 1990s. Um, she's also in one of like the Blade 
uh, sequels. Like, she's in just, like, a bunch of random, like, kind, like, not big movies, but big enough that you've heard of them movies from that yeah. time period. But in the early to mid-2000s is when her life as a child star begins to take its toll. And this is when headlines start to pop up about all of her drama. So in 2005, she's evicted from her apartment following complaints by other tenants in the building, which, according to some headlines, if you believe them, include her allegedly threatening to molest one of her neighbor's dogs. Uh-huh. Whoa. L- yeah. L- well, and here's the, here's the follow-up. Later that year, so later in 2005, she um, is admitted to a hospital under a false name for hepatitis C, a heart infection, and a collapsed lung. And at this point, she starts undergoing methadone therapy. So basically, like, she was addicted to heroin. Gnarly. Probably on top of other stuff. Um, in 2006, I don't know why I'm laughing, but in 2006, a warrant for her arrest is issued because she was, like, going through all those health problems due to her addiction problems that she never actually went to court for, for like, the, the lawsuit that her old um, landlord brought against her. So for failure to appear in court, a warrant is issued for her arrest. But basically, like, she's able to... And I think she does get arrested a couple of times throughout her life, but she never has to serve time. Instead, she ends up going to a drug and alcohol rehab program, and a, uh, a judge basically gives her, like, conditional release. So, like, you can, like, since you're getting treatment, like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna like, take this any further. We're not gonna convict you of anything. Um, I couldn't get the exact date, but this is one of the ways in which she overlaps with her Orange is the New Black character. Following her drug and alcohol rehab, she has to undergo open heart surgery, like, in her fucking 20s, basically to repair the damage that was done from the heart infection. Gnarly. Yeah. And I know, like, I've never seen Orange is the New Black, but I guess there's an episode where her character talks about that and shows, like, her scar from it, and that's actually Natasha Leone's real scar from her open heart surgery. Yeah, don't do intravenous drugs, guys. It's not worth it. Just don't no. do it. <laughs> don't. That's Stick just not worth it. with the fucking leaves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, maybe do shrooms every now and then as an experience. Are they legal now in Denver? Um, they're decriminalized. Oh. So they can't, like, sell them, but you're not going to get arrested for having them. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's actually, like, some in this house, and he was like, you can have them if you want. <laughs> like we'll see i mean we've been doing shrooms long enough without purchasing them from any type of establishment yeah we got it yeah <laughs> i mean they grow in the fucking for like you just go out the forest and pick them i mean you might die but you know know what you're doing google it first so basically she goes through all of the shit like the from like 2005 to like 2007 she's basically getting her entire life back together after like a massive meltdown and there's a huge gap in her career because of that because people were like, yeah, we're not going to hire you. Like, are you going to come to set fucked up? Like, you know what I mean? Like, she just lost all credibility. And again, like, the media was, like, just disgustingly all over her. Like, it was, like, they were brutal to Natasha Leone. They really came after her. And and keep in mind, like, she's estranged from her family this entire time. Yeah. So, like, her family's, like, not by her side. Like, no, you know, I mean, like, she probably has friends and stuff. Like, it's not like she's a thousand percent alone, but... It's not like she has a family who's, like, nursing her back to health. Like, she's out there on her own and has been since she yeah. was a teenager. That's rough. 
So finally, in the later 2000s, like starting around 2010, she starts to pick up a little bit more roles in part. And I want to give a shout out to this bitch, to her best friend for life through like all of her shit, like their best friends to this day have been since before all of her problems, Chloe Sevigny. Which, like, if you don't know her by name, you've seen her in movies. Um, you haven't seen Russian. She's in Russian Doll. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But um, she's... Anyway, Chloe Sevigny, like, is a big 90s actress. Um, and she basically, like, vouched for her to, to movie makers and producers. And was like, no, she is sober. Like, I promise you she's sober. And she's still best friends with her to this day. So, like, woo! I'm friends who stick it out. Um, yeah. Like, fucking hell yeah. So, finally, Natasha has, like, her full-on Phoenix comeback moment in 2013 when she is cast in the what would soon become Netflix runaway hit, Orange is the New Black, which I think this year they're on their final season, I believe, is what I read. It's the last season they're going to do. She's still in it. She's even directed some of the episodes at this point. Um, and that really, like, marked a comeback for Natasha Leone as a celebrity, as a person, as a real actress, as somebody to take seriously and respect. She's been sober for a long time. Um, and even though she's, like, a little bit nuts, and she herself even says she's like, oh, I for sure have brain damage. Like, I absolutely have. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, there. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, she had to, like, she had a collapsed lung and her heart almost gave out. Like, her brain probably had some problems, too. You know, so she, like, is a little bit nuts, but she's also really smart and talented and living a better life, and probably in her absolute, like, peak right now at age 40, Russian Doll came out a few months ago on Netflix. She co-created it, she co-wrote it, and she stars in it. Um, It is, as I said earlier, it's basically about a girl who keeps dying and waking up and it's really like the broader themes like given the story of her life like russian doll is like her of course she's gonna end up making russian doll it's all about this girl who like leads this life of self-destruction and like as you go through the show you realize like even though she has on the outside she seems to have all of these things that you would think would make her enjoy her life like she really doesn't and she's kind of disconnected from it and her life feels meaningless and the movie is all about, like, reconnecting with that sense of, like, being alive, no matter how much life sucks. And it's super powerful and amazing. And it was nominated for 13 Emmys. Dang. She was nominated for two, one as a writer for Best Writing for a Drama Series and one as Best Actress in a Drama Series. Wow. She was also nominated in 2014 for her um, performance in Orange is the New Black. So this girl, this woman, went from child star to completely estranged from her parents. She never graduated high school. She never graduated college. She almost fucking died from drug and alcohol addiction. And now she's, like, A, looking beat as fuck. If you, like, go on her Instagram, she looks absolutely incredible. Like, not doing drugs does a body good. She looks so good, so gorgeous. She's getting Emmy nominations left and right. She's got one of the most successful shows in the in the world in 2019. And she's just, like, come all the way back and more. Um, super awesome Phoenix Redemption story. Oh, but wait. There's one more thing. Oh, God. The pinnacle. I'm, I, this is tongue-in-cheek, by the way. 
to the pinnacle <laughs> of all of her success is that later this year, she will star alongside none other than our husband, Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> in his autobiographical movie, oh. Honey Boy. Oh and guess God. who she plays? Who? His mom? His mom. <laughs> I want Oscar nominations. I want Golden Globe Awards. Oh I want God. her to get it all. Is that not the... Wait, does Shia play Shia? He plays his dad. Who the fuck plays him? Uh, like a young... Well, he it, like, it goes throughout his life, so there's like multiple. Uh, yeah. Whoa, that's going to be a heavy-ass fucking movie. Oh yeah, I'm seeing it immediately. Oh yeah, I want to yeah. be like at the the red carpet event in LA yeah. and like be yeah. up front and center when that fucking goes live. Dude, I'm showing up in like my hiking boots, my cutoff shorts, <laughs> the Goodwill sweater I bought down the street, and I'm just gonna go full shy on that shit. Yeah, if any of you guys haven't figured it out yet, we are obsessed with Shia obsessed. And his, fa- and his fashion style in particular. Yeah, like, we were, like, we both, like, we're, we've already agreed that we would have, like, one of those sister-wife marriages with him. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I actually feel like, I feel like we would all, like, understand, like, I feel like Shia would get us, and I feel like we would get him. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like that would be, and, it would be fun. And, like, his mom would love us. Oh, my, a thousand percent. A thousand percent. She's kind of like all the rage right now, especially following the Emmy announcements. And this is something I found super surprising. Do you know who Fred Armisen is? The like no. comedian actor. Have you ever seen Portlandia? Yeah. He's the guy in Portlandia. Okay. Yeah. That's her boyfriend. Really? Yes. And for, for some reason, that is just like really hard for me to imagine. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, he just seems so calm and like placid. And she's so like. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, but he is the, like one of the actors in Portlandia. True. Like, true. That's a weird fucking show. Very true. He's obviously <laughs> a weirdo. So they they have been together since 2014. And I don't usually share quotes, but I wanted to share quotes from her to tie this off because I just think she says shit so well sometimes quote what's interesting is that there was this person i abandoned for almost two decades who knew exactly who i would emerge to be at 16 i already knew who i was but then i just had the most insane wade laid life where at every turn i was my own worst enemy then i reappeared to tell my story i fucking love that quote it is really good just like like what you lose as you get older but like like so much of who you are and who you know you are you already know when you're a kid but society changes you and like tells you you have to be a different i just thought that was such a good quote (laughs) this is from an interview in w magazine quote i have so many crushes the dragons on game of thrones i would sleep with those dragons i would sleep with the night king I would sleep with a good, healthy number of zombies. Dracula, Nosferatu, Gary Oldman is Dracula. That's all my type. Yes. I was working on an off-Broadway play, and Conleth Hill, who plays the eunuch on Game of Thrones, was in my off-Broadway bowling league, and I had a major crush on him. Oh, my God. And then the interviewer goes, what about Jon Snow? And she says, no, that's not my trip. I like a weird scene. Yeah. Yeah, she does. <laughs> We're back in Portlandia, dude. 
And that is Natasha Leone, the queen of television, who went from the darkest of the dark and the lowest of the low to the fucking highest of the high. Fuck yeah. Woo! Definitely check out Russian Doll. Super fucking good. And I would say before you guess, I would say um, just one more thing about Russian Doll. Natasha Leone is very Natasha Leone, and it can be like difficult to watch her acting. Like she's so manic that her monologues can be difficult to watch. So like the first episode of Russian Doll is kind of weird, but in episode two, more characters start to come out, and that's when the show gets really good. So if like you watch the first episode of Russian Doll and you're like, I don't know, like pro- I promise you, power through, it gets so freaking good. So the end. Okay, I am. I really don't know about her zodiac sign, but I'm going to take a couple guesses. Okay. And I'm not totally confident in any of them. Okay. I feel like you'll guess her. Really? I think you have a good shot at it, yeah. Because the ones I'm thinking of right now, I feel like are pretty far-fetched. Okay, go for it. So, the first guess that I had is Taurus? No. Okay. Another guess that I have is Aries. Yes. (laughs) April 4th. Aries is my first in my brain, and then I said, I don't know about that. Yeah, Taurus is a, just because she's stubborn? What was that about? Um, they're also, like, gluttonous, you know? Like, oh, like indulgent, yeah. Indulgent, um, True. can kind of fly off the wagon, like, engorging themselves and things that they need and find it as pleasurable. True, true. But I also had Leo in mind. Well, how, because she's a star? No, um, just because she has big hair. <laughs> I uh, I kind of half thought you were going to guess Scorpio. I thought Scorpio, too, in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, the masters of dying and rebirth, for sure. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I she's, actually didn't come to my mind. But she's an Aries, and that is me covering two back-to-back Aries on this fucking show. So I basically want all the recognition for being the most mother Teresa podcaster ever towards aries so yeah that's her she's fucking badass check her out read some of her interviews go on her instagram because she is serving looks like nobody's business and definitely check out russian doll so i am also covering a hollywood actress but mine is old hollywood So that's kind of cool. We covered New Hollywood, and now we're covering a little bit of Old Hollywood. So today, I am covering Anna Mae Wong, who is the first Chinese-American movie star ever, and who used her fame to challenge racism and stereotypes in Hollywood. Okay. So Anna Mae Wong was actually born as Wong Lu Tsiong, in 1905, and she was the second of seven children born to second-generation Chinese-American parents. 
Their family lived on Flower Street in Los Angeles, which was one block north of Chinatown in a community filled with Chinese, Irish, German, and Japanese residents. Five years later, in 1910, the family moved to a different neighborhood on Figueroa Street, where they were the only Chinese people on their block, living alongside mostly Mexican and Eastern European families. So Anna attended public school with her older sister, but the girls became a target of racial taunting from the other students, so they had to move to a Presbyterian Chinese school where classes were taught in English. At the same time, U.S. motion picture productions began to relocate from the East Coast to the Los Angeles area, and movies were constantly being shot in and around the neighborhoods that Anna was living in and going to school in. So she naturally, at a really young age, developed this interest in film and movie stars and Hollywood, and she began going to Nickelodeon movie theaters, and she quickly developed an obsession so deeply that she started to miss school, and she was using her lunch money to attend the cinema. Which, you know what? Like, whenever we cover some of these stars, most of them do that. Like, I feel like... Like, when they're young kids, they, like, develop this interest and they start, like, skipping school and, like, sneaking around and, like, attending these things and then their parents are pissed. Like, I feel like Carol Burnett was the same way. I feel like our, like, the tagline of our show could be, school ain't shit. (laughs) Right? Um, so... Her father was not happy with her film interests whatsoever, but she basically was like, go fuck yourself. I'm going to pursue my film career anyway. And at the age of only nine years old, Anna May was constantly begging filmmakers to give her roles, and she earned herself the nickname of Triple C, also known as the Curious Chinese Child. Where, at nine years old, how does she even find them? Well, because they were just filming outdoors in L.A. Wow, and she was just And she was living there. Wow. So they'd, like, have, you know, the streets blocked off, and they'd be, like, filming a set. And she would walk up and be like, get, I want to, I want to be an actress, I want to be an actress. Because this was, like, right, this was, like, right when, like, cinema was beginning like this was still i think when they were doing silent movies yeah so like shit was so new like that you could just walk up to a fucking producer who's standing on the curb filming somebody you know for sure yeah yeah so by the age of 11 anna had already come up with her stage name which was anna may wong which is what we know of her as today and that was a combination of her English name and her family given name merged into one. Because technically, her first name is Wong. Mm-hmm. It's like Wong Lu Xiong. And so she switched it around to Anna Mae Wong. So Anna Mae was working, and I don't know if she goes by Anna Mae. I just keep calling her that because. Like <laughs> because As that's a, what I, you mean instead of Anna? Yeah. I like anime. Well, I mean, I figure if somebody keeps their name as anime Wong, then they must go by anime. Yeah. I don't know. Also, it's like the word anime. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) anime was working at Hollywood's Villa de Paris department store when Metro Pictures needed 300 female extras to appear in their 1919 film, The Red Lantern. Uh, 
and without her father's knowledge, a friend of his with movie connections helped her land an uncredited role as an extra carrying a lantern in the film. And so for the next two years, Anna worked as an extra in various movies and eventually dropped out of Los Angeles High School to pursue a full-time acting career. So there is our second woman that did not graduate from high school. Don't go to school. Don't do it. <laughs> um, and you know her dad must have been pissed. Yeah, for real. Fucking that Chinese man, like... Oh, man, I can't even imagine the last thing she got. I'm, like, thinking already about her sign, because she is so ballsy. She straight don't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) So, at the age of 17, Anna played her first leading role in the Technicolor movie called The Toll of the Sea, and it was a huge hit. Variety magazine reported she had extraordinarily fine acting, and the New York Times commented, Miss Wong has a difficult role, a role that is botched nine times out of ten, but hers is the tenth performance. Completely unconscious of the camera, with a fine sense of proportion and remarkable accuracy, she should be seen again and often on the screen. So that's that's pretty good. Like, for her very first film, to <laughs> get yeah. that from the New York Times, like, dang. But... Despite such positive reviews, Hollywood was reluctant in creating starring roles for Anna as her ethnicity prevented U.S. filmmakers from seeing her as a leading lady. So, she spent the next few years in supporting roles, providing an exotic atmosphere, playing roles of concubines and other less-than-desirable characters because that's all that was offered to her and all that she could get. For example, at the age of 19, Anna was cast in a supporting role as a scheming Mongol slave in the 1924 film The Thief of Baghdad. She played a stereotypical dragon lady, and yet her appearance on screen caught the attention of audiences and critics all over. The film grossed more than $2 million and it helped introduce anime to the public. After the film's success, Anna moved out of her family home and into her own apartment, but at the same time, she was beginning to learn that Americans viewed her as foreign-born, even though she was born and raised in California. Right. So she began cultivating a flapper image. She's like, I gotta fucking, I gotta be something. So she turned into this, like, little flapper fashion guru and tried to just, like, create an image of, like, Vogue. To try and bring her back into, like, Hollywood, so to speak. Um, But it became clear to Anna that her acting career would continue to be limited by American anti-miscegenation. How do you say that? Miscegenation? Yeah. Yeah. It would be limited by American anti-miscegenation laws, which prevented her from sharing an on-screen kiss with any person of another race, even if the character was Asian but being portrayed by a white actor, which was very common during this time period. Well, and that makes me think of Nichelle Nichols. Yep. Yeah, and her Captain Kirk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at this time, the only leading Asian male in U.S. film in the silent era was a man named Seisue Hayakawa. 
So unless him or some other Asian leading man they dig up out of the trenches would play in a movie with Anna, she basically would guaranteed to never be the leading lady. Yeah. Like that's the only chance that she could ever be a leading lady would to be to be alongside the only Asian man actor. And if he wasn't in it, then she would always be a secondary role in any film she was in. So, because of that, she continued to be offered these exotic supporting roles that followed the rising, like, vamp stereotype in cinema, which pretty much consisted of eroticism and sexual domination. And so, she also played roles, various roles, of other ethnicities. So, for instance, she played... um, the roles of indigenous native girls in two films in 1924. She played an Eskimo in a film called The Alaskan, and she also played Princess Tiger Lily in Peter Pan, um, and she played a gangster's daughter that was known as the Dragon Lady. Oh, wow. Of course. Um, and in 1927, she was up to be the leading lady in two different films, but was bumped out due to censorship against mixed-race on-screen couples. So, Anna was pretty fucking tired of being passed over for lead Asian character roles in favor of non-Asian actresses, so she said fuck Hollywood and left for Europe in 1928. But, literally, like, they were filming Asian, like, what they would consider an Asian movie, and they were having white people playing Asians in the movie. Yeah. When she was trying out for the lead as a real Asian woman, and they would not let her have the role, because if they did, it would mean she'd have to be in some type of romantic relationship with a character that was played by a white man portraying himself as an Asian man. And she wasn't allowed to kiss a white man portraying himself as an Asian man on television. Merka! How insane is that? It's so stupid. Like, how fucking backwards is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yo. So then they had, in order to beat that, they had to have two white people pretending to be Asian kiss each other on screen. That's so... For it to be legal. I think, like, I'm glad you brought her, like, you're covering her and brought this up, because this is, like, Asian blackface, and I've never, I actually never heard, like, I didn't know this. That's essentially what it is. Yeah. I didn't know this either. So, crazy. So, yeah, she was just like, fuck this shit, dude. Also, backtrack for a minute. Ballsy for her to even be pursuing an acting career knowing that this is the state of the country she's living in. Yeah, she doesn't give a fuck. She is, like, (laughs) full honey badger mode. They're like, hey, you will never be the leading lady because we're racist. And she's like, great, sign me up. Where can yeah. I apply? Yeah. Like, yeah. she just, I don't, she had some type of insane determination and passion to be an actress, knowing that literally that path in life was 100% against her ever reaching those goals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how crazy is that? So, yeah. So, she bounced to Europe, where all great things apparently happen in Europe. The minute she got to Europe, Anna became a huge sensation. She was starring in multiple notable films and was acclaimed not only as an actress of great talent, but also of insane beauty. And in addition, the European critics neglected to mention that Anna May was 
of any American like heritage, they only mentioned her as having Chinese origins. So they like, even though she was American, Chi- like Chinese American, they just like they celebrated her being Chinese. They didn't even uh, like care, ab- like they didn't even acknowledge the American part. They were like this incredible Chinese actress out here in Europe, beautiful with great talent. Like they were celebrating it when like yeah, you know, yeah in America, yeah. yeah. So that was happening, and um, while she was in Europe, she did her, or she was featured in one of her last silent films. It was called Piccadilly, Piccadilly, I think, and it was in (laughs) it was in nineteen twenty nine, and it was the first of five English films in which she had a starring role. The film caused a sensation in the UK, and although the film represented her in her most sensual role in a British film. Once again, she was not permitted to kiss her Caucasian love interest, and a controversial planned scene involving a kiss was cut before the film was released. So they were still kind of being dicks about the on-screen kisses in Europe at this time as well. However, they did give her leading roles in tons of films that didn't involve those type of relationships on screen. So during the 1930s, American studios decided they were looking for a fresh European talent. Who did they fucking no. pop into their mind? Shut up. Anna. Oh, now that you're like European, now that you're big in Europe. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So they reach out to Anna, and they offer her a contract with Paramount Studios in 1930s. And, she, and they lured her in by promising her lead roles and telling her that she would be making a ton of money if she came back into the U.S. and kickstarted her career again. So she she went for it. And because she knew that she had, like, a ton of prestige and, like, fame and a lot of, like, new training in Europe because she got so much action in, in the film world, she knew that she would be great in the United States. And so when she came back, she... Apply, or not applied, she was casted to be in a Broadway drama called On the Spot, and she landed um, the starring role, and that ran for 167 performances. Sadly, in November 1930, Anna's mother was struck and killed by an automobile in front of the Figueroa Street house that they grew up in, and the family had lived at that house until 1934, until Anna's father returned home to China and took her younger brother and sister with him. But before the family left, her father wrote a brief article for an overseas magazine in China in which he expressed his pride in his famous daughter. So that was nice that he finally bit the bullet and said that he was grateful for her success and fame. That makes me happy. That's a good story. But once again, Anna fell for the Hollywood bullshit And she accepted another stereotypical role, which was a vengeful daughter in the 1931 film Daughter of the Dragon. This was the last stereotypical evil Chinese role she played, and also her one starring appearance alongside the only other well-known Asian actor of the era, the same guy I talked about earlier, Seisu Hayakawa. Sweet. So they made out? (laughs) <laughs> so they finally got to star in a, sh- in a movie together. Um, I actually don't know if they made out or if an on-screen kiss happened because something even bigger, 
needed to be reported that was more important than that. And that was the fact that um, even though she had the starring role in this film, her starring role wasn't enough to reflect in her paycheck. So she was paid $6,000 for her role in this show, while homeboy, Asian homeboy, received 10000 Mm-hmm. And even better, a nice Swedish-American man named Warner Oland, who portrayed or played an Asian character in the film for only 23 minutes, was paid $12,000. Of course. Of course. The fake Asian was paid more money than the two Asians that were in an Asian film. Oh my god. So, Anna finally reached her breaking point, <laughs> and she began to use her newfound celebrity... Fucking killed everyone. <laughs> ...to making political statements. She became super outspoken in her advocacy for Chinese-American causes and for better film roles. In a 1933 interview with Film Weekly, entitled an uh, article titled, I Protest... Anna criticized the negative stereotyping in Daughter of the Dragon, saying, quote, Why is it that the screen Chinese is always the villain? And so crude a villain. Murderous, treacherous, a snake in the grass. We are not like that. How could we be with a civilization that is so many times older than the West? I mean, okay! <laughs> um, but at the same time... The Chinese press in China decided that they were going to start piping in after having given, after having felt a lot of mixed feelings about Anna's career, the entire length of her career. So Chinese newspapers ran the headline, quote, Paramount utilizes Anna Mae Wong to produce picture to disgrace China. Although she is deficient in artistic portrayal, she has done more than enough to disgrace the Chinese race. So, China was pissed because they got mad that Anna's on-screen sexuality was spreading negative stereotypes about Chinese women. Sure. Which is so frustrating, because it's like, kind of like what we were saying about Natasha, you know, she was trying to build a career and make money to support herself, so she had to take, you know, roles like American Pie to get to where she needed to get. Yeah. Which is exactly what fucking anime Wong did, yet it fucking made its way back to China and the whole goddamn country got pissed about it. Well, and, like, I wonder, too, if, like, they had similar criticisms of male Chinese American actors or if this was one of those instances where they're like, oh, she's a woman, so we can just shit on her. Oh, 100%. It's always yeah. that. It's always that. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I even question. <laughs> So, Anna's Hollywood career returned to its old pattern, and she continued to be passed over for leading female roles with the explanation that she is too Chinese to play a Chinese. And she cannot perform romantic scenes with any of the non-Asian leading males. Oh my god. So, again, being fucking duped by Hollywood for the second time, Anna returns to fucking Britain, where she stays for nearly three years. And in addition to being out there and appearing in four films, she toured Scotland and Ireland and was part of a vaudeville show. 
But in the 1930s, American people began to grow a lot of sympathy for China in its struggles with Japanese imperialism, which opened up opportunities for more positive Chinese roles in U.S. films. So once again, Anna returned back to the United States in 1935 with the goal of obtaining the role of a character named, I think it's named O-Lan or Mm -hmm. O-Ian. And that was the lead female character in a film, which was originally a book called The Good Earth, but they made it, they were turning it into a film. Yes, I read that book! Yes. Okay, so... She went back to the United States because they were making, turning that book into a film. And she wanted to play the role of, oh, Lion, Ian, I don't know how it's pronounced, the female lead character. Mm -hmm. Since its original book publication in 1931, Anna had made it known publicly that she absolutely desired to play Olan in a film version of the book. And as early as 1933, Los Angeles newspapers were rooting for Anna as the best choice for the part. Nevertheless, the studio apparently never seriously considered Anna for the role because Paul Muni, an actor of European descent, was to play the husband, and the Hayes Code prohibited portraying, you know, mixed-race relationships on camera. So, she was, of course, pushed to the side and offered the part of Lotus, a deceitful song girl who helps to destroy the family and seduces the family's oldest son. Anna said fuck you and refused the role entirely and completely tapped out of even being in the movie whatsoever. And her role ended up going to, I think, Louise Rayner which was a German-American woman. Doesn't sound Chinese to me. A German-American woman who ended up winning Best Actress <gasps> Oscar for her performance. I would have murdered. We'll listen to this next sentence. Oh, she murders her. The refusal to consider Anna for this most high-profile of Chinese character in U.S. film is remembered today as, quote, one of the most notorious cases of casting discrimination in the 1930s. Yeah. Uh. I can't even imagine. I know. I don't even have, like, any feedback except, like, just light <laughs> I, it on fire. I, I just burned the fucking building to the ground. Like, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. And also, when you've been talking about her, it makes me think of um, Josephine Baker. And how right? she basically had to leave America yeah. to, like, get any foot. And I'm just like, not that, like, Europe doesn't have its own racist politics or whatever, but it's just, I don't know. <laughs> We're such a mess. Like, hey, does that mess. mean we need to move to Europe? Yeah, duh. Like, a hundred <laughs> duh. Like, a hundred duh. Like, the second we show up to Europe, we'll have, like, eight husbands. <laughs> we'll have jobs. They'll feed us organic food. It'll be amazing. So, after the major disappointment of losing the role in The Good Earth, Anna announced plans for a year-long tour of China to visit her father and the family and to learn more about Chinese theater. But during her travels in China, Anna continued to be strongly criticized by the nationalist government and the film community. The toll of international celebrity on Anna's personal life manifested itself in bouts of depression and sudden anger, as well as excessive smoking and drinking. I mean, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, this life, if you are led to smoking and drinking as, like, the minimum of things you do. Right. Like, like, come on. Yeah. So, during her travels in Hong Kong, Anna was feeling very irritable and uncharacteristically rude to an awaiting crowd that wanted to meet her, which then quickly turned hostile. And one person shouted at her, down with Huang Li Song, the stooge that disgraces China. Don't let her go ashore. And Anna began crying, and a stampede ensued. So she had to take off on a short trip to the Philippines to let the situation in Hong Kong cool down before oh. she could come back and join her family again. Damn. So. After her tour in China, she had to fucking go back to the United States again because her contract with Pyramid Pictures wasn't over. So she went back and she made a string of B-level movies in the late 1930s. The films given to her were non-stereotypical roles, which were publicized in the Chinese-American press for their positive images, which, let's be real, like... Probably it's because they were B-movies and no yeah. one was watching them that they had the freedom to be more, like, open-minded. Right. So her most notable film of the B-movies was called The Daughter of Shanghai, where Anna played the Asian-American female lead in a role that was written for her as the heroine of the story. The script was so carefully tailored for Anna that at one point it was given the working title Anna Mae Wong Story. And of this film, Anna told The Hollywood Magazine, quote, I like my part in this picture better than any I've had before because this picture gives Chinese a break. We have sympathetic parts for a change. And to me, that means a great deal. So in 1938, Anna auctioned off her movie costumes and she donated the money to Chinese aid. And the Chinese... Benevolent Association of California honored Anna for her work in support of Chinese refugees. And in addition, the proceeds from, um, like, a little excerpt that she wrote in a 1942 cookbook titled New Chinese Recipes, which was one of the first Chinese cookbooks that ever existed, were also dedicated to the United China Relief. And between 1939 and 1942, she put filmmaking to the side and she ended up focusing all her time on attending events and appearances in support of the Chinese struggle against Japan. Later in her life, Anna invested in real estate and owned a number of properties in Hollywood. Good. She she converted her home on San Vicente Boulevard in Santa Monica into four apartments that she called the Moongate Apartments. She served as the apartment manager from the late 1940s to 1956, and then she moved in with her brother Richard on 21st place in Santa Monica. And in 1949, she, after a six-year absence from film, she returned back to film with a small role in a B-movie called Impact. And then in 1951, she starred in a detective series that was written specifically for her called The Gallery of Madame Lu Xiong, which was like half of her name, in which she played the title role that used her birth name. And after the completion of the series, Wong's health began to deteriorate. In late 1953, she suffered an internal, internal hemorrhage which her brother attributed to the onset of menopause and her continued heavy drinking and financial worries. 
Um, and for the contribution to the film industry, Anna Mae Wong received a star at 1708 Vine Street on the inauguration of the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1960. She has also depicted Larger Than Life on one of the four supporting pillars of the Gateway to Hollywood sculpture that's located on the southeast corner of Hollywood Boulevard and La Brea Avenue. And on February 3rd, 1961, at the age of 56, Anna died of a heart attack as she slept at home in Santa Monica. That's young. I know. It is pretty young. For a woman, especially. Um, but her because image... Hollywood in- stressed her out. Fuck. Yeah, fucking did. <laughs> but um, her image and career left a notable legacy. Through her films, public appearances, and prominent magazine features, she helped to humanize Chinese Americans to white audiences during a period of overt racism and discrimination. Chinese Americans had been viewed as perpetually foreign in U.S. society, but Anna's films and public image established her as a Chinese American citizen at a time when laws discriminated against Chinese immigration and citizenship. Um, her only film that still today gets a lot of attention is Shanghai Express, but in Europe and especially England, a lot of her films still occasionally appear at like film festivals. And without surprise, Anna still to this day remains incredibly popular among the gay community. Of course. <laughs> I don't know how they find them, these washed-up divas. Uh, the gay community often claims her as one of their own, and for whom her marginalization by the mainstream became a symbol. Yeah. Um, and although the Chinese nationalist criticism of her as the dragon lady and the butterfly stereotypes lingered, she was ultimately forgotten entirely in China. Which, like, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's the current state. Um, And nevertheless, the importance of Anna's legacy within the Asian American film community can be seen in the Anna Mae Wong Award of Excellence, which is given yearly at the Asian American Arts Awards, and the annual award given out by the Asian fashion designers was also named after Anna in 1973. And there's one quote of hers that I'm choosing to give because I think it's very telling of today's culture and even more interesting that it came out of the mouth of somebody who would never live to see the day of what we experience every day in 2019. Mm. And that is, quote, don't be photographed too much or you'll lose your soul. Wow. What does it mean? I don't know. Interesting. Right? Interesting that somebody from like the 20s and 30s era would have that to say. Yeah. Yeah. So that's anime Wong. Wow, that's it's so interesting that we both like not only that we both covered Hollywood actresses, but Hollywood actresses who got kind of like fucked up from the fame machine. Yeah, in their own ways, you know what I mean, in different ways. Um, oh God, I have like could give political commentary, but all I'm gonna say is we suck. 
Um, <laughs> that's kind of all there is to it. Okay. Do you like is her sign guessable? Is it? Like, I think it is. Okay, my first guess is Leo. She's not a Leo, but um, it's a good guess. I have two more. I think, sh- I think that. Yeah, no, I, that's a good guess. I think that would be my second guess. Capricorn. Capricorn. Okay. Then my last guess was going to be Libra. Uh, January 3rd, Capricorn. Hey, girl. Which, like, makes sense because she was nine years old trying to, like, beg people to make her an actress. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would say, too, like, her, um, not that, like, Leos aren't persistent, but the persistence is more Capricorn than Leo, to me, is more well, sign. I also think that Leos, if they get rejected too many times, they'll crawl into their little fucking lion cage. The show. And, like, pout. Yeah, they'd rather, yeah, they'd rather, like, save face yeah. than, yeah, for sure, totally. Or Capricorn's just, like, I'll fucking keep pushing through this barrier. I got my fucking I don't fucking give a horns. fuck, bitch. I don't give a fuck about you. Why don't you think that you do? So, <laughs> how did you come to cover her? Um, I was thinking about the fact that we haven't covered very many Asian women. Mm. And yeah. so... Really, I covered um, Yoko. I covered Yoko in episode one, and then I covered. Oh, fuck, I can't. I feel shitty to say that I can't remember her name, but um, the Syrian swimmer. Oh, I can't remember her name either. Is Syria Shit. considered Asia? I don't know. I don't know if that's like Middle East. Like, but is isn't Middle East? Cons- I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing, so I don't I know. know. We'll have to edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I haven't, I'm like, I haven't covered, I guess. Yeah. Is that all we've so, covered? Wow. Yeah. So I was like, I want to cover, I feel like we need to mix in, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to get some Asian ladies up in here. For sure. And so I literally just Google searched influential Asian women in history. <laughs> I wonder, I'm like, is she in one of our books? I feel like she should be. I think be. she is in one of our books, but I, I didn't find her from the book. I feel like I have, like, an image of, in the um, Anne Shen book, of her, like, with a fan or something. Probably. Okay. I think, I have a feeling like she's in there. Yeah, I'm sure she is. I just, like, and, f- like, fuck you, China. How you gonna come at her like that? You know? Like, wow. She really does look like Audrey Hepburn a little bit. Fuck you, China. <laughs> I mean, look. <laughs> Well, yeah, because it's also like, dude, all of America's treating her like shit. Like, you can't have your girls back. All right. Any ending thoughts, Sage? Yeah, can we get a bark or something? Yeah. Sage, say something. She sifts the microphone. Oh, could you smell it? Or could you smell it? it? (laughs) Could you hear it? Yeah, we could hear the sniffs. Cute. Well, that was Sage. She's really cute. She's so tired. She's like, fuck off. Stop talking. <laughs> Go to bed. Um, so we were going to record as normal. We'll have another episode out next Monday. Right? We're not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. As always, and as never, hit us up. Mimosa Sisterhood. At G- I don't, you know. You fucking know. The whole gig is normal. The whole thing. Tell, tell your friends that we exist. Etc. We've got. Let, 
let us know if you want us to cover any women in particular that we haven't already covered. We've got like a solid 225 downloads an episode. I would love to see that get to 300. Like my yes. goals are, you know, we're modest. Like just tell somebody. Everybody just tell one person. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. It's not that hard. I need to get back on Twitter. That's what I need to do. I know. I was I thinking I need to do the Instagram Twitter stuff. I've been for like three months. I think so. you did like what the 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 Twitter spamming that you did I think was good for us. I can't it got us you. some very loyal. Oh wait, what'd you say? I said the Twitter spamming that you did did a lot of good for us. Oh hell yeah, I've gotten a couple of listeners from Twitter. Way to go! All right, I gotta get back on it tonight. All right, I know. I was thinking this weekend I'm gonna work on Instagram stuff, but anyway. Well, good night. We will be back later. Hit us up, etc. Have a good week. Bye.